Hayley Whiting. I'm the RNLI's Heritage Archive and Research Manager. Um, I've been here for 10 years now and I have the pleasure of not only looking after the RNLI's historic archive collection, but helping people to learn about our history and share all the information that's contained within. The RNLI was founded in 1824, but it was in 1823 that Sir William Hillary wrote his Appeal to the Nation. And that document, which is in the RNLI archive, is really setting out what he wanted the organisation to be. And that what we love about that document is that it really has stood the test of time and that the core of what Hillary set out is what the RNLI is today. First, the preservation of human life from shipwreck which should always be considered as the first great and permanent object of the institution. So this was the key for what Hillary wanted the organisation to do. So he had witnessed terrible shipwrecks, he knew how dangerous the coast was, and he wanted there to be this continuous service so that whoever you were and wherever you were off the coast of the UK or Ireland, that you would be rescued. So that's the core of what he wanted. And that covers quite a lot of different things so that's actual lifeboats and volunteers to go out and man those lifeboats but he was also thinking that preservation word is really important as well and sometimes we think of preservation as more of a um, modern concept that we're teaching people to swim or we're doing float to live but actually that has been something that's always been part of the RNLI and right from those early days they were looking at things like teaching people to swim, but also teaching people about the weather, putting barometers into lifeboat stations so people could see the change in the weather conditions and perhaps not go out or alert the crew to the fact that maybe a storm is coming. So those are some of the key things that Hillary was setting out in that first piece. So as well as barometers for lifeboat stations, the RNLI also provided fishermen's barometers so that they would be on, on boats themselves, but also barometers in the local community so that people in that community could see the changing weather conditions. So some people will recognise the barometer on display in their local community. St David's is a great example that in the middle of the city there you can see the barometer on display still. Assistance to vessels in distress which immediately connects itself with the safety of the crews. So here Hillary is talking about going out and rescuing the vessels and in his period in the 1820s and one of the reasons why he set up the charity itself is that there was a huge amount of shipping going on around uh, the British coast so a lot of commercial and fishing boats essentially and those were largely the rescues that the crews would have been going out to in that earlier period um, and I think over time the kinds of rescues the RNI has done has changed an awful lot depending on how the coastline is being used. So in that early period, you've got the big ships and the shipping and the commercial shipping, um, and some of that still goes on today. But our use of the water has changed an awful lot. The beach in the 1820s wasn't really a place for leisure like it is today. So that is something that's really changed in the introduction of beach lifeguards um, in the early 21st century but also leisure, using the water for leisure in other ways. So now we might go out on our kayaks or uh, go kite surfing or whatever uh, you use the water for. That wouldn't have been something that people were doing in that early period. And the RNLI still doing the same thing that Hillary set out in 1824, but doing it 
in a different way. So the introduction of inshore lifeboats in the 1960s was a big change, but actually it was just a reaction to how to save lives, just doing it in different conditions than, than would have been in, in the 1820s. The succour and support of those persons who may be rescued, the promptly obtaining of medical aid, food, clothing and shelter so this is something that has definitely changed over our history. What Hillary is setting out is that the people that are being rescued will be taken to get the best medical aid that they can. And in that period, that wouldn't necessarily have been the lifeboat crew themselves. Today, our crew have excellent medical training, but in that early period, there would have been limited medical training given to the crews, and they would be thinking more about getting them to an actual doctor. There was advice in the early period to crews um, and the Lifeboat magazine that still goes out today, that's been running since the 1850s and in the early editions they set out something called the treatment of the apparently drowned, which was the kind of state-of-the-art medical training that was available. And when you read through this training uh, advice, um, I don't think there's much in there today that we would be advising our crews to do um, Things like putting them face down and sitting on on their back, lifting their arms up and down, sort of to pump them, I guess, to see if you could get water out of them. It seems quite comical now, but that really was the best advice. And the RNLI were trying to give the, the top advice that they could at the time. And in the appeal, Hillary does set out that there should be skillful training given to all of the crews. If you're asking volunteers to go out and put themselves in danger, that they need to have the best equipment and the best training. And I think that's something that's very much still part of the RNI today, is that we are giving our crews the best training and the best equipment so that they can bring people to safety and, and give them the medical care that they need. So there have always been provisions made available on the lifeboat for those that have been rescued and in the earlier period that was things like chocolate, uh, milk powder maybe to make tea and there were various companies particularly during the 1880s, 80s, 90s period and, and beyond who um, gave us that food for free to support the lifeboat service. So Cadbury's Roundtrees and Fries, for instance, provided the chocolate that was kept on board for the lifeboat. There was also alcohol aboard the lifeboat, uh, which ended in, in the 1980s pretty much um, and was only for the use of survivors. Only under very extreme circumstances were the crew allowed to have any alcohol. And I think they'd have to have been out for a large number of hours and the weather had to be particularly cold so that the idea being then that alcohol was thought to revive you and would be really important um, in in saving someone's life whereas I think now we understand that alcohol is perhaps not necessarily the best thing to give people once they've been rescued. The people and vessels of every nation whether in peace or in war to be equally objects of this institution. So Hillary saying here that basically whoever you are, wherever you are from, the RNLI will come and rescue you. And it's actually mentioned several times in the appeal that um, it's not just all subjects will be treated like British subjects. That's essentially what he's saying. He's coming from a period in the 1820s where we viewed the world very differently. But actually the core of what he's saying is that it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, we will rescue you and bring you to safety. And that has been something that the RNLI has um, is really important to the RNLI today and has had many examples of where that has, has been the case. One example is during the Second World War. 
RNLI crews were going out to aeroplanes, particularly in the southeast coast. And a lot of those warplanes were not British planes. They would be, uh, they would have German pilots on board. And again, the RNLI crew would go out putting themselves at, in danger, but they would go and rescue the German pilots in the same way that they would rescue the British pilots and bring them back to safety. But there are other things that Hillary is saying in the appeal about the international aspect. And some of what he wanted was really to spread this idea that he has even further so that every country with a a coastline would be adopting a similar organisation. And on the 100th anniversary of the RNLI in 1924, they set up the International Lifeboat Conference. And this was a place for countries with similar lifeboat services to come together and share information share designs, share life-saving skills and expertise. And that's something that 100 years later is still going strong. And I think what Hillary really wanted was not to keep this as a British institution in that way, but to share expertise. And again, that's something the RNLI is being called on today in its international work is sharing the skills and expertise we have with lifeboats and lifeguards. Um, But that has been happening since we were founded and other examples are helping with flood rescue in the 1970s and 1980s in Mozambique and Bangladesh where awful flooding was happening and the RNLI was seen um, as having the equipment and the expertise to go out and help people in distress. So whilst many people might think the RNLI's international work is a fairly modern thing, I always think that actually we've always been doing a level of international work um, and always had that international cooperation at, at the core of who we are. The bestowing of suitable rewards on those who rescue the lives of others from shipwreck or who assist vessels in distress. William Hillary was particularly keen on medals, but where he's coming from here is that he knew exactly how dangerous it was for people and volunteers to go out to a rescue, put their lives in danger to save other people, and he felt they should be suitably rewarded for doing that. Um, and he himself, like I said, he did love medals and he was awarded four gold medals by the RNLI. One was an honorary medal for founding the institution, but the other three were for actual rescues that he was a part of. Um, he was very severely injured in one of those rescues as well. So he wasn't shy of, of going out on a lifeboat himself, but he really was keen um, that medals were awarded. And the first medal was awarded fairly early on after our foundation in 1824. Um, And medals have been a really important part of our history. And we've had some amazing rescues that have been rewarded. We've had um, Grace Darling, who was the first woman to receive an RNLI medal in 1838. Her and her father, who rescued um, people going out in a very small little boat in really stormy conditions to, to rescue people off of a ship in distress. And then you have kind of medal heroes like Henry Blogg, who was the RNLI's most decorated crew member, received the most medals that have ever been awarded. And in fact, the RNLI introduced the bronze medal to the Cromer crew in response to rescues that they had done. So gold and silver were introduced in 1824, but it wasn't until the First World War that the RNLI introduced the bronze medal. And in the early period, a huge number of medals were actually awarded, not just to RNLI crew, but to other people that the RNLI thought deserve recognition for the rescues. So that was often people like coast guards who'd gone out on rescues. But I'd say in the modern period, it's perhaps harder to get a medal. 
that's not because our crew were any less brave um, or any less committed. It's just simply that in that early period, people were really taking risks because they were going out in, say, open rowboats. They didn't have the communication. They didn't always know what they were going out to. They may have just seen a rocket go off and they were responding to that. Whereas today we have really great communications. We have really good equipment. People don't need to take necessarily the risks that they were taking. But saying that, medals are still awarded for brave um, rescues and we have had gold medals awarded. The last gold medal was awarded in 1997 to um, Hewitt-Clark and we have other medal winners like Brian Bevan who was the um, person to receive a gold, silver silver and bronze all in in one year. So there definitely are people who um, have, in the more modern period, done really brave things and and been rewarded in the way but I certainly think that it is a lot harder to to receive those medals today. So despite these improvements in communication and equipment there are still historic firsts being made um, such as Lee Duncan at Triada Bay who's the first um, B-class crew member to receive a silver medal. So acts of bravery are still being recognised and that's still a really important part of what the RNLI does but those acts of bravery and the recognition not just at medal level but at other levels as well that we recognise and and thank our volunteers for the amazing work that they do. So over 200 years after Hillary wrote this original appeal to the nation I think that if he were was in Pool, where I am recording this, and he walked around the all-weather lifeboat centre and saw the lifeboats being built, and he walked into the college and saw the training, and he saw the shop and all the volunteers, that I think he would be really amazed by how much has changed and how technology and training has moved forward. But I think he'd also be really pleased to see that 200 years later, the core of what the RN light is and what he set out in that document is still what we are doing today a voluntary organisation that's supported by charitable donations that's saving lives at sea. And that those who risked their own lives to save their fellow creatures from the perils of shipwreck should be honoured and rewarded. Whilst every stranger whom the disasters of the sea may cast on her shores should never look for refuge in vain. Douglas, Isle of Man, the 28th of February, 1823. Hello, it's Mark Pusey here. I'm crew at Chiswick on the Thames. If you want to hear more stories from the RNLI's 200 Voices collection, then head to rnli.org slash 200 voices. Or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. 200 Voices is produced for the RNLI by Adventurous Audio Limited.